I'm just asking, where can you go to church and hear Bon Jovi? I mean, just where can you do And hear it done well and everything like that. All right, I want to say hello to everyone. Glad you are here. I want to say a word to those that are online first. And I want to make this very clear to you. We want you to feel connected and feel a part. Uh, whether you live in another state far away, you found us accidentally. Uh, but I would say it wasn't, wasn't an accident. It was a Holy Spirit. And uh, we're just so grateful that week after week you continue to stay connected with us and join us in worship, whether you watch it on Sunday morning or later on in the week. And we really do want to uh, feel a part of your life even as you feel a part of us. So please uh, stay connected in, in the chat there. Email us, connect. With, I would love to meet you even if it's online uh, through email or somehow through a chat. We, we, we would love to do that. And if you're in the house for the very first time, you've never been to Pathway before, or maybe uh, this is your first time back since all the COVID-19 stuff. I'm going to be out in the crossing after worship. I'd love just to connect with you, say hello, and have a little exchange of greeting. And again, we, we, we thank you for being here. Now, one of the things that we do around here at Pathway, we, we kind of ask people to read the Bible on a regular basis. Uh, the challenge is that you would read the Bible every morning for about 15 minutes uh, before you kind of go out in your day. We believe over time you will find this the most powerful thing that you will grow in your life. But I want to ask you that before you ever open the Bible, there's a little thing I suggest that you do, and that is you stop and have a short little prayer, and just ask God to kind of speak to you through whatever's going to be read here. And so whether you're online or you're in the house, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to start off in chapter 3 here and kind of work our way, but before we even do that, could, could we please just have a short prayer? I want to model for you, maybe even how you could pray in the morning. And maybe you'd say something like this, uh, good morning, God. I'm here in my time to be with you. I want to blot out everything, God, and just be with you. And before I open up your Bible, your word, God, I ask you to speak. Uh, teach me something about you. Uh, teach me something about me and help me to grow. Help me to grow to be more like you and help me apply all day long whatever it is you teach me. And God, if I need some healing, you would touch me or I need some healing and some hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the third week of this message series. We're calling Love's Playlist. In the very first week, we learned uh, that it's all about the power of love. Week one was all that life is strictly about love. And that you can lose it, everything in your life. But if you win at love, I would say you're a winner in life. You are. And if you're someone who has everything, I mean, you've, you've been able to accumulate a lot of stuff, you figure stuff out, got all these degrees, you got all these accomplishments, but if you don't have love, it's going to be hard to say that you've won at life because life is about love. Uh, week two, we learned something about, uh, we want to know what love is, right? We learned what love is. We learned that love is patient. And that love is kind. And we learned that Jesus is really chill. He's a lot more relaxed than most of us think. And we learned that hurry is the enemy of love. You cannot love someone in a hurry. You just can't do it. 
And so last week we were challenged to slow things down a little bit. Uh, we don't just want to do this love thing on Sunday morning. Uh, we're challenging us to practice it actually during the week where it really counts. And so I asked some of you to consider actually driving the speed limit all week long. I asked some of you to consider when you came to a stop sign to actually let all four tires come to a complete stop. And just kind of and develop a little patience. And I asked some of you really just to kind of lay off the horn. Right? To stop at the signal light. And um, I got a text. I'm not going to betray who because we're in this worship time. They said, Rick, I did good all week long. They text me Friday night. And I blew it. I just had to sit on it. I just sat on it. And I know none of you that happened to none of you this week at all. But we just kind of said we got to train ourselves to be patient. In fact, someone said to me, uh, you know what, Pastor, I'm really struggling with this patience thing. Will you talk about it again on Sunday? I mean, I'm really, I, I said, no, we can't. We got to hurry. Um, uh, <laughs> we got to, we, we don't have time. <laughs> you know, we got to keep, keep moving. And, and so far, all of this teaching we have been learning has been from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And most people, when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you think of Hallmark, you think romance, these feel-good little passages. And if you're someone here, you don't believe in God, uh, you're welcome here, I want to say that. But probably even you have heard about 1 Corinthians chapter, maybe you've never read the Bible at all, but you've heard about this chapter, it's called the love chapter. Uh, it's called the wedding chapter, right? You've been to a wedding where someone read from it. And most of you, if you're a Christian, you think, okay, that, that when uh, the Apostle Paul, when they got to this part, the Corinthians in verse 13, when they got to this chapter, they said, oh, man, this feels so good, and peach, warm, fuzzy, goosebumps all over. And I'm saying probably not. I I'm saying when they got to this chapter, they're reading one, two, three, four, five. When they get to chapter 13 or however they were structuring it then, I'm going to say probably it was just the opposite. I'm going to suggest that it was like a slap in the face when they got to this chapter. Well, you need to understand that when Paul writes these letters, there are 13 of them to the church, he's writing to address problems and issues going on in the church, but also in the communities around where the churches live. And this church right here in Corinth, they're messed up. They have all these public condemnations of other people and other leaders. They're quick to judge how sorry that group of people are or that person is. They're all pursuing power, popularity, means. They're bickering among each other quarreling about which leader they're going to follow. I'll follow that leader. No, that leader. No, that person. That person. And all this division, polarization in that community. We would know nothing about that in our time, would we? And it's into that situation Paul speaks. Now I want to point out to you three very Real concerns that Paul talks about in the first 12 chapters before we ever get to, to chapter 13. It's number one there in your notes. And your first one there is envy. Envy. Here's where you can find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
if I can find chapter 3. 1 through 3. Let's read it. Envy. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Verse 3, you are still worldly. Worldly means the opposite of the ways of God. If you're walking in the ways of the world, it's opposite of the ways of God. He says, are you still not worldly? For since there is jealousy, in the Greek, that really that word is envy. For since there is jealousy, envy, and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? And here's what Paul is saying, that wherever you have this jealousy and quarreling, it's going to create envy. And envy creates factions, it creates these rivalries that only feed people's ego. So that's the first issue we see them facing. The second one is boasting. I'm still in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Down there in verse 21 he says, so then no more boasting about human leaders. Over here in chapter 5, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Now, that word boast is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's used 37 times in the New Testament. But the Apostle Paul used this word more in this letter to the Corinthians than all of the other letters combined. It was a real issue, boasting. Now, there's a third issue that's prevalent, especially in the first 11 chapters, first 12 chapters. And it's different than the other two. And it's something that happens on the inside of a person. And it's interesting because this is the only book where Paul uses this word to the Corinthians. And the word is puffed up. Puffed up. They had a problem with being uh, puffed up. In chapter 4 he says, then you will, in verse 6, you will not be puffed up. Chapter 8, verse 1. We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So in the first 12 chapters, over and over and over again, here's what Paul is saying. Hey, Corinthians, you envy, you boast, you're puffed up. You envy, you boast, you're puffed up. You envy, you boast, you're puffed up. Envy and boasting is something you do. Puffed up is something that you are. He says it over and over again, and then it's into that setting he speaks these wonderful, romantic, eloquent words, chapter 13, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only resounding gong. I'm a, I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Well, well Paul will tell us, we want to know what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then he lays the hammer down. And not only that, it does not envy, it does not proud, it, it, it does not boast, it is not puffed up. In other words, Corinth, love is not like you. You give love a bad name. Love is not like you. 
Love is the opposite of you. Some of you are going to remember a Seinfeld uh, comic series, and there was a character in Seinfeld called George Costanza. And oh, George, uh, he was the self-proclaimed loser, right? He was a self-deprecating loser. And he always said, you know, my instincts are always wrong. I'm always wrong. My decisions are always wrong. And in one episode, Costanza decided he was going to do the opposite. Everything, he was going to do the opposite. So when he started doing the opposite, he started being successful. He was great with women. They were just falling all over him. He was making money left and right, all because he did the opposite of what his basic instinct said. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He's not subtle at all. He is saying, hey, you are the George Costanza of churches. Do the opposite. You're giving love a bad name. You envy. You boast. You're puffed up. And then he just piles it on. It even gets even deeper as he goes on uh, right there in verse 5. Uh, love does not dishonor others. They were doing that. It's not self-seeking. They were doing it. It's not easily angered. Uh, they were doing that. It keeps no record of longs. Love does not delight in evil. Eight times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, back to back to back. Love is not like you. Love is not like you. Love is, love is not like you. You're giving love a bad name. And, of course, Paul is saying all of this in love. Because love does not try to heap guilt upon someone. Love doesn't try to shame someone. Sometimes love speaks the truth in love and it's painful because you love someone so much you don't want them to live a loveless life you actually love want someone to become who God created them to be Love wants to build a community, it wants to build a family, it wants to build a team, it wants to build a business, it wants to build an organization that treats people not like the world treats people, but the way that God treats people, the ways of God. Now here's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. Let's see if we can simplify this. Number two there in your notes. The Apostle Paul is teaching us that love is the opposite of envy. Love is the opposite of envy. And the suggestion is that the strategy for your life could be do the opposite. Do the opposite of the ways of the world. And the opposite of the ways of the world is the way of love, which is the opposite of the way of envy. Now, we're going to spend a little time, the rest of this time here, we're going to be talking about this concept right here. Because it's so subtle. And it erodes the human condition. And the reason our world is in such a state, that, and the Bible is going to prove this to be true, so we're going to spend a little time here. So what, what does it mean to say that love is the opposite of envy? Well, here's what love does. Love feels delight when someone else succeeds. You feel good, you feel better, you feel enhanced when life is going good for someone else. But if you have envy, you feel diminished. 
You feel less than when great and awesome things and well-being is going on in someone's life. If you're someone whose heart and mind is body just saturated uh, by the love of God, uh, you're someone who wants to build up people. I mean, you just always want to build them up. You just want to take them to a higher place. But envy tears people down. Love. Your heart is someone who's filled with love. I mean, it's over. You're, you're always looking for the good. I mean, you're looking for good. You want to you wanna see the good in someone. You expect the good. But if you're someone who envies someone, you're always looking for the worst. And when you look for the worst, when you find it, you're quick to judge. You're quick to condemn, to set them over here as being wrong and evil and worse than everybody else. If you're someone who's filled with love, when life is good for them, uh, you, you, you celebrate. You celebrate when good things happen to other people's lives. But if you're full of envy, you compare. When something great happens in somebody else's life, you start comparing your life to theirs and the status of theirs. And the last one is, if you're a person who loves, man, you just want to serve people. Uh, you just want to serve. I mean, you, you even go to, to uh, out to eat, and your goal is to serve your server. Uh, you just want them to feel better because they waited on your table. You want them to walk away because your heart is so full of God's love. You just want to serve them. But if you're someone who envies, you're someone who wants to be served. You want to be at the center. You want eyes on you. You want to get the credit. You want to be people to take care of you to make sure you're comfortable and everything's good about you. Now, here's what I know from life experience, and from failure. You cannot get rid of any of these things in your life by trying harder. In fact, the harder you try, sometimes the worse we can make things. Spiritual maturity, spiritual transformation does not happen by trying harder. It happens by my life being so filled and overcome by the love of God that it begins to root these things out. Because there's no root for envy or any of these things when love occupies the full occupancy of my heart. Think about it. Now, the place to begin... If you're someone who wants to improve where you are on dealing with these issues, is do a self-examination and to look at your own life and areas in your life where perhaps there might be a little seed, a little root of envy kind of taking root about a situation, a system, or anything that's, that's going on. And so you just kind of do a brutal self-examination. And so to begin with that a little bit right here, I would just ask, is there anybody here in the room or email online, you can type on the chat, kind of raise your little hand, would admit, you know what, probably I have a little bit of an issue with envy. Who might say, do we have anybody in the house that would, that would oh, so nobody. So, man, we're, we're a great church. We're just an awesome church. That tells me I've done such a great job, I can retire, right? Uh, because, man, we, we take, because 
none of us, the, the Bible Belt is so strong, so many churches, so many good families, that none of us ever feel uh, diminished when somebody else is doing good. We never tear anybody down. We're never looking for the worst in someone and quick to judge them. We never compare our life to anybody else. We always want to be the server, and we never want to be the one to be served. I mean, we just got it all down, right? Yeah. That's not my story. And here's what I've learned about envy over the years, and psychologists will tell you this to be true, is that most of us, we don't envy people that are famous. It's really subtle. Uh, we envy people that are in our little circle of life that we live in. Maybe a little town more talented than we are, a little quicker at this, a little better at this, a little smarter at this, and, and down kind of, we kind of cover it up, but on the inside, we've got this little bit of, this little bit of envy. So I'm going to kind of help you out a little bit here, just kind of see if you can connect with this a little bit. This is against my better judgment. I'm going to pull back the curtain, and uh, I'm going to share with you over the, I have a long history of envy in my life and different seasons of my life, and these are the different ways that I've experienced envy in my life. Um, I, there are times in my life I experience envy of people that are more athletic than me. Uh, today, I have envy over guys that are my age that can do a muscle-up and walk on their hands, and I go, I should be able to do that. I uh, have envy over people that are smarter than me. That's a lot of people. I, I, I have envy over people like Andrew who can just pick up any instrument and play it at a moment's notice, and I can't, make any, I can't even make a bell sound good. I mean, I have envy over people that can write better than me, who can speak, pastors who can, it doesn't take nearly as long or like nearly as hard to, to deliver a message. I, I have envy over people who can eat all the ice cream they want and never bloat. I have envy over men who can grow a mustache overnight. I can't grow one in a year. I just have all these things. I, the people have the perfect marriage, the perfect family, the perfect kids, the perfect vacations, the perfect jobs. The per they just go, everything's just perfect in their life. It just, they touch it, it turns to gold. Success, 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 success. I, I, I envy people who can go into a confrontation and be more articulate, not go into the silent treatment and go, oh, blah, 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 blah. they just confront people and they do it so well. Hey, I envy people like you who don't envy anybody. Because I wish I could be like that. Does anybody all connect with any of this? And be, because I envy, I'm puffed up on the inside. I don't want you to know that I envy. So I pretend that I'm not that I'm above envy, that I'm better than envy. Because I don't want anybody to know. And I boast, but because I'm a pastor, right, it's not right, I got to be humble. So I have to cover up my boasting to make it look like I'm being humble. But I'm wanting you to know something about me, you know, but I'm not going to tell you about it, because I'm going to do it. You, you, you know about how to do that, right, because we all do it a little bit. And as you look at our world, COVID-19, the political arena, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, whatever matter, you want to take, you pick the cause you want to pick, wherever you are. Anybody see any people feeling diminished 
because other people are doing well or tearing people down or looking for the worst in someone to judge them quickly and to be quick to, to post on social media who they are, comparing ourselves with one another. Do we have do you see any of this stuff going on in our world at all? Or is it just my imagination? And the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13, he's not giving commands, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't, he, he's not saying that. He's saying, hey, listen, guys, I just want to tell you what love is like and what love is not like. And love is the opposite of you. You give love a bad name. And he's describing this envy thing as a sin that has a dark side to it more than other sins you might have in our lives, such as greed. Let's use greed as an example. You may or may not have greed, but just say it's greed. If I'm greedy, I want what you have or I want more than what you have. But if I envy you, I don't just want what you have, I want you to have less. Because when you have less, it makes me feel better about me. That's envy. This group of ladies, one of their peer group friends, she was being celebrated. She was going to be honored. And she said, hey, will y'all please come? Will y'all please come? We all said, yeah, yeah, we'll come. And so they're sitting at their table. Their friend walks in with all these other ladies. It's a female event. And man, she's beautiful, she's intellectual, she's smart, she's classy, she's sophisticated, she's gifted, she's talented. Everybody knows her, everybody likes her and loves her, she's awesome. Everybody's fawning over her, her friends are sitting around the table, they're watching her walk through the crowd, and one of the friends says underneath her breath, well, at least she has bad teeth. That never happens, does it? Where we just take delight in looking and finding the flaw and pointing it out in somebody else. Because when I do that, it makes me feel better about myself. Envy is such a subtle, subtle, subtle little thing. It's like a cancer. When we started this message series, Love Playlist, I challenged you to read 1 Corinthians 13 every day. I ask you to think about memorizing it, see what happens, and I thought about adding this. I thought about asking you, hey, let's become the most loving church in the world. Okay? But if we did that, that meant we would have to compare ourselves with other churches. And what if another church was more loving than us? See how subtle, even good intentions with a sin of envy can kind of creep in and begin to erode the well-being of your soul. And envy is worse today. And it's because of social media in large part. And there are all these psychologists and researchers documenting what's happening and the impact of social media on people's lives and there's a lot of good with social media. I know this. There is a lot of good. But because of social media, we now have more access to more successes of people like us every day. 
And people just love posting all their victories and their wins on social media. And you want to post, oh, man, we had the best vacation ever. Oh, we had the best kid birthday party ever. I got the best new decorator. We had the best dining experience. And you're putting all that out there. And people, you, and you get on and you scroll social media and you start comparing yourself with one another. Compare, 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 compare. And when you do that, they're saying the more you're on social media, it's proof that you become more envious. It's a little cancer that kind of creeps into the soul. And we do it to ourselves. But it's not new. Envy is not a new thing. In fact, there, number four, uh, three in your message notes, envy is a root cause of family dysfunction. Envy is a root cause of family dysfunction. I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter 4. If you want to follow with me, you can. In Genesis chapter 4, the first time the word sin is used is when there is envy in a family. And the first brothers we have recorded in Scripture are Cain and Abel. And God created families to love each other. Are, are you aware of that? Parents, you want to know what the purpose of your life is? Single or married. Teach your kids how to love and love well. Healthy. That's, that's, that's part of the, the next generation. The next, because God is love. And so we have a family here, and two brothers, the love is not working very well. Uh, Cain and Abel both bring their offering to God. We're told right there in verse 2. Cain brought some of the first fruits, but Abel brought the best of the first fruit. He brought the very best offering he could to God. And the scriptures kind of imply there that Abel had the favor of God upon his life because he was giving God everything that was very, 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 very best. And Cain was kind of giving him maybe the leftovers, a little bit of what he could. And so God's favor is upon Abel and favor and God, God and Abel have a close relationship. And Cain finds himself envying his brother's relationship and the favor of God or everything just being sweet on his life. His life was so good and so something. And Cain kind of comes to a place in his life where he says, you know what? My brother. He didn't go inward and see if he was puffed up on the inside. He blamed all his problems on his brother. Don't raise your hand. Anybody ever blamed all their problems on somebody else? He said, man, what if there was no Abel? What if I just got rid of Abel? Envy. There in verse 6, God says to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, if you do what is right, let me say it again, if you do what is right, will I not accept you? Will you not be accepted by me? But if you do not do what is right, sin, that is envy, is crouching at your door. It will have its way with you. It will eat you. It will destroy you from the inside out. But you can rule over it. I've given you free will. It's your choice. 
choice. Cain didn't even answer God. God's trying to help him. Come on, Cain, tell me, why are you angry? Come on, think about it. Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? And, and if Cain would have just said, you know what, God? Yeah, I'm examining myself. I'm envious of my brother. He's got, but he didn't. Envy destroyed his soul. And it killed his brother. Verse 10, the Lord said to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Who created the ground? God. Who created Abel? God. And the blood of Abel wasn't made for the ground. And he says, your brother's blood cries out to me. Can you imagine what it's like to be God? Can you imagine over the hundreds of thousands of years, the number of people, the number of families that have been destroyed by envy, lies by envy, that cry out to God from the ground? Families in our society so prevalent. In your scripture, you're going to learn all the way through this book, Envy. Uh, it's throughout the whole thing. Uh, you turn a few chapters over, there's Sarah, the mother of the Hebrew people, Abraham's wife, who envies Hagar and her son Ishmael. And then you have uh, Isaac himself, the promised son of Abraham, who has an envy story with his half-brother Ishmael, back and forth of envy. Then you have the story of Jacob and Esau, a story of envy. Then you have the story of Leah and Rachel, a story of envy. You have the story of Joseph and his brothers, a story of envy. Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister of Moses, a story of envy. And the Apostle Paul teaches in the first chapter of Philippians in the New Testament that the gospel is preached out of envy and rivalry. And that still happens today. There was a man named Jesus, and he said, I'm going to build a community that's the opposite. It's just going to be totally opposite of the world. And in Matthew chapter 20, he's working on give, creating this community that's the opposite, where love dominates, not envy. And a couple of the guys didn't get it. We learned last week that some of the disciples were a little slow. And two of them, James and John, just weren't getting it. And they came and said, hey, listen, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can one of us sit at the right? Can one of us sit at the left? Can we be at the highest level? And Matthew rats them out and says, you know what, their mommy actually came and asked. He says their mommy came and asked the question. And then Jesus responds to them. He says, well, uh, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Oh, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. The other ten disciples kind of get ticked that the two brothers asked this question only because they thought of it first. And then Jesus responds. Please hear what he said in verse 25. Jesus called them together and he said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. Their high officials, they exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, here it comes, 
Whoever wants to become great must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave or last. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, not to save it, to give his life as a ransom for many. In your notes, envy, envy is, na- is naturally uprooted when love is supreme over all this stuff. That's the only way it can be uprooted. You can try harder. You can work harder. You can put more effort. It's not going to do it. It is only when your heart is filled and overcome and saturated with the love of God. There is no room for envy where there is God's love. It can't exist. It can't go because God does not envy. Cheyenne Davis and Chris Bohan are two people around this church that occasionally get up here to teach. And when they teach, it's inevitably that someone in the church will stop me afterwards and say, man, Chris did an awesome job. Cheyenne knocked it out of the park, did a great job. And when they say that, I'll go, well, thank you. And that's about it. Every once in a while, somebody will say, man, they did such a great job. I think I'd I'd rather hear them than you, Pastor Rick. (laughs) And I go, awesome. Why is that? Because Cheyenne and Chris, I could be their father. I've known both of them for a long time growing up in their life. I love them like my own son and daughter. And when they do well, I'm happy. I'm excited when they do well. And when they struggle, I feel their struggle because I love them. They're like family to me. And I feel lifted up when they do well, not diminished. Because it's like, isn't that true for you and your family? In your family, when your kids do well, don't you feel proud and happy for them? Or do you feel down because they're excelling and you're not, maybe? No. You feel great because they're fake, because you love them. Right? Now consider this. In our lives, we have something called family. And you have a circle of family, family and friends, people that you love. Uh, and, and not all of these people that in my circle I call family are blood family. I've got some people in my life that are black blood brothers, blood sisters. And when they hurt, I hurt. Uh, when they excel, I feel great. And I cannot think of a time that if that, that I compare my life to theirs and want what they want or feel better uh, when they are down or feel diminished when they're doing great. I mean, because they're family. But you and I also have people in our life I want to call rivals. I have a circle of rivals, and rivals are people I feel like I'm always competing against. You know what I'm talking about? I'm always measuring myself against them. I'm comparing myself against them. And I kind of feel better about myself when they don't reach the mark. Because I envy them down deep. And Jesus and Paul are saying that the only way is to expand the love, expand the love 
that I have right here to expand the love I have, to let it to grow in my life, where over time, these people that are my rivals begin, become in my circle of my family, of people that I love and I care for and I wish them good. And as I learn how to love them the way God loves them, even if I don't believe the way they believe, even if I don't like the, the things that they do, but I learn to love them, all of a sudden, I have no rivals and we are all one. Galatians 3, there is no Jew nor Greek, there is no slave nor free, there is no male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We're brothers and sisters, we're family, children of God. And God is love. You ever seen the game Balloon Stop? That's when you go to a party and they tie a balloon to your ankle and it's got about a three-foot string on it. And we all know what the goal is, right? The goal is the survival of the fittest, Darwinism. That the baddest, meanest person, fastest person gets their balloon all the way while you're crushing somebody else's balloon. And the last one standing is the, is the big cojona, right? Boom, and everybody's, everybody else loses. You're it, you're it. And we play that game every day trying to crush other people's balloons so we feel bigger and better. This game was introduced to a bunch of fourth graders, and some were intellectually challenged. They understood the game about you're supposed to pop the balloons, but they missed one part. They missed the Darwinism. Because when they said, okay, teacher, say, okay, go, go, pop the balloons. One little girl held her balloon for the other little boy so he could pop it. And then he took his balloon and held it so she could pop it until everybody's balloon was popped and they all celebrated and said, Woo! Yay! Because brothers and sisters, they celebrate the accomplishment of everyone getting their balloon popped. What kind of game are you playing? How do you keep score in your life? By how many people's balloons you pop? By how many people you crush? Here's your question for the week. Who can I build up this week? Who can I make feel good? Who can I lift up? Who can I honor? Who can I, who can I brag about behind their back? Who can I talk about to be awesome? And who, who can I build up? Not who can I crush, not who can I blame, not can I, but who can I do that? How are you going to keep score? How are you going to keep score this week? Here's the second thing I want to ask you to do besides the question of the week. Here's your homework. Here's your skill training. Here's the first. Examine my life. Examine your heart for the people in my life and the ways where I might have envy. Just kind of back up, be brutally honest, list all the people, famous, worldwide, or in your little circle, the people that you, that you envy, the people that you kind of do some of these other things on, right? Uh, these people right here, folks that you, 
you feel diminished when they do well. Uh, people you tear down, people you try to look for the worst in, people you kind of compare your life with, just kind of make a list. And here's the last thing. I want you to pray that your rivals, anybody that's a rival, right, a rival will succeed. This is rival. This is family. Pray for anyone that's in your life that's a rival. Pray for love to succeed so they will become like your family. That's a tough call. So, let's make this very clear. If you are a Democrat, hardcore, sold out, here's how you apply this this week. You pray for the well-being and the soul and the heart of Donald Trump and Mike Pence. If you are a hardcore Republican, You pray for the soul and the well-being and enhancement of Joe Biden and Camilla Harris. But pastor, I don't agree with their policies. I don't, that's not what I'm, you can disagree with them all day long. You can vote opposite all day long. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about following the way of Jesus. I'm talking about following the ways of the world. I'm talking about practicing what the Bible teaches and being a follower of Christ. Pray for, oh, pastor, I don't feel like it. That's the great thing about prayer. Prayer is not about how you feel. You can pray for people you don't feel like it because prayer changes how you feel. It does. I remember when I was in seminary and there was this guy that was having a preach-off. You ever heard of having a preach-off? Having a preach-off. I mean, it's me and another guy in seminary and I'm going, man, I got to, what are you talking about? It was me and another guy. And, and the professor said, hey, just pray for him. And so I did, and it changed how I felt. There was a softball team where I, I, I was shortstop, and a, there was a retired professional athlete came in. They made him play shortstop, and man, he could do everything twice as much better as I could. And man, I felt this sense of envy, and so I started praying for him. He broke his leg. <laughs> <laughs> I still prayed for him even after he broke his leg. What am I trying to say? When you pray for people, it changes you. This thing called envy, it all comes together right here. You can get your communion elements. If you're online, you can push pause if you need to, but get your communion elements if you're there in the house. This, this whole table is about this thing called envy. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, this cross is about envy. That, that cross right there, it all happened because of envy. Because you see, the religious leaders, they brought Jesus to Pilate. And Pilate said, ah, you want me to try him? I find nothing wrong, but I can see through this, dude. You, you, you religious folks, you're envious of Jesus. He's got power. He's got charisma. He's got authority. Uh, he can perform all these miracles, and everybody loves him. I mean, he's the guy. You're envious of him, aren't you? So they were so envious, they had a plan to kill him. What if there were no Jesus? What if there were no Abel? 
until they got the plan. And Jesus, knowing what was going on, he said, I tell you what, guys, go ahead, do what you got to do. I, I'm going to be like Abel and let my blood be spilled upon the ground. I'm going to take his place. And while you're letting envy do what it needs to do, envy kill me on this cross, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to ask God to quickly forgive you. And I'm not going to try to pay you back. And I'm not going to blast you all over social media for treating me this I just I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the opposite. Jesus' entire life was doing the opposite. God became flesh. King born in a manger. A savior on a cross. The best became the least. The strongest became the weakest. The opposite. And so envy did it. He killed him. His blood spilled into the ground. The ground received his blood. But the opposite happened. The ground didn't cry out. Because on the third day, the tomb was empty. Because love triumphed over envy. The body of Christ broken this is my body he said broken for you whenever you eat of this bread remember me God we pause here to remember your ways are not like the ways of the world this table reminds us of who you are and what you are like and as we eat this bread father begin to change us and heal us more like you if you have your bread I invite you to take it online or in the house in the saints where together behold the body of Christ take and eat then he took the cup this is the cup of salvation my blood spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins he said whenever you drink this cup drink this remember me father your blood spilled upon the ground we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your mercy. How we have participated in family dysfunction and all the chaos and polarization in our world, Father. We seek your mercy. We seek your forgiveness. We seek your loving kindness, God. We thank you for your patience with us. Fill us with your love, God, that we might give the same to others. If you have the cup, Behold the love of God. <coughs> Take and drink. <coughs> God, we thank you for this table. <coughs> for the foundation of your love. And now, God, we declare it. We build 
our life upon you. Can we stand and sing together? Come on, will you sing this with us? years uh, because it's the essence of who we are and I hope this morning this statement means something to you not just today but Monday Tuesday Wednesday let's do it the purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can and how shall we fulfill this purpose by ministering to spiritual emotional and physical needs by providing Christian relationships in the family of God and providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.